Hi, and welcome to Talkward. I'm Marty Dunnix, Editor-in-Chief of Weekly Humorous Magazine, and this is Talkward, uh, where professionally funny people come in and tell uh, cringeworthy uh, stories. I forgot to tell you, you have to have a cringeworthy story. Anyway, we'll get to that. Uh, my guest today is Tyler Gilden. Uh, Tyler is a uh, comedy producer, comedy uh, writer, stand-up comic, um, all-around uh, media mogul, I would say you are. I'll take it. So thanks for coming on. Sure. Welcome. I didn't know about having a cringeworthy story. Yeah, but I forgot. It's actually on. See this? It's actually on there. Cringeworthy tales. It's on the logo. Uh, you didn't send and me. And I didn't, uh, you didn't t- tell uh, me that. Uh, I don't think that you listened to this podcast before. Well, now I need to uh, <laughs> make sure a uh, I listen to every episode and b I you'll will, think of something. Something that cringeworthy has, will something come up. Something happened to you. Something I'm sure has happened to you. That is like, ooh, that was uncomfortable. So I'm sure you'll think of something. I'll, uh... You can bring it... I'm sure something will pop up as we're talking anyway. I wouldn't worry about it. And typically, uh, it ends up just being this conversation is, is probably the worst thing that you've talked about. So this can represent a cringeworthy story. Worst comes to worst. Look, remember will... that time I came in for your horrible podcast? If that if, if I have twenty minutes if, if ago, if I can't think of anything, I'll <laughs> just we'll revert back to uh, you know uh, the beginning of the podcast. That'd be great. We could just do that. Um, so you uh, you based here in New York City. We're here in New York City now. Um, I know you because I went to Syracuse and you also went to Syracuse, but I was older than you and we met like an alumni thing right when you were. I think a senior, you were just coming in to come to New York City, and you wanted to do comedy, and you wanted to write comedy, and you like asked me for advice, and I was like, I don't know. And then you came to New York, and you did so well. Just that out of the gate, you just found your own way. I, I feel like all of a sudden, you popped up, and you were on uh, the Elite Daily, which was a new thing, and you were running the comedy uh, section, the category, the vertical right. for Elite Daily, and then you took that that like small comedy niche, and then it developed into this huge comedy video platform uh, of of sort of the it was like the millennial stop shop, right? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, well, uh, to, to to back up uh, a couple seconds, when when we first met, you know, uh, I was part of radio uh, WJPZ yeah. uh, as a senior and your name was one of like we basically were finding out for the banquet like who are the like who does what yeah. and like I immediately like targeted you like okay ah, you know, that's National you Lampoon me. oh yeah. yeah no I I went to that banquet with a, with a mission <laughs> to make sure I connected with you and I wasn't the only one there was a couple of us who were like alright Marty Dundix find out which wow. guy's him and let's let's uh, let's talk to him uh, but yeah no basically uh, when I uh, graduated uh, well, at first, uh, ironically, in the in the world of radio, I, I was up for a radio job uh, at uh, WBLI on Long Island. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was actually, it was like a competition uh, that they were going to choose the next morning show host, and I submitted a video, and I was in the finals, and then I got flown home at one point to do a trial. Uh, ultimately, I didn't get the job, uh, which was... Uh, Pretty crappy way to start off your postgrad career, but yeah, I basically—it's a tough market, though. I mean, what what market number is that? I mean, Long Island's not that far away from a high number market. No, it's, I mean, it's a it, very—that's a tough first job. No, it it would have totally anyway. It would have been such an awesome opportunity, yeah. and I I thought it would have been great. And what's ironic about it is, and not to you know blast anybody, but. I don't think they chose anybody. So they had this whole competition, yeah. had all these entries, and then I believe they were down to two of us, and two of us went in and each did like a morning spot with their two co-hosts. Yeah. They didn't choose anybody. So really, uh, you know, quite the contest when ultimately I lost, but nobody won. So maybe that made me feel a little better. I don't know. 
But uh, yeah, I joined Elite Daily. Uh, I started freelancing with them in late 2012. Actually, the first video I did was a man on the street uh, for the Obama or Mitt Romney election, mm-hmm. uh, which that was, that was the first thing I had done then. And then in early 2013, they asked me to come on full time. They were launching a humor vertical. They, you know, it was about uh, eight to ten person company, very scrappy. Most guys hadn't graduated college. Most of them were just a bunch of really good friends who were trying to yeah. put something together. Uh, and yeah, I kind of just took a, you know, a leap of faith of like, hey, you know, all I've been doing is stand up comedy and freelance work. I yeah. have no, you know, uh, consistent income. This wasn't. This wasn't much of an income offer, but it was like, hey, here's a place I can go to five days a week yeah. and hopefully write comedy. So right. yeah, that was kind of my entry in. But it, it, I, because I would observe it just on like, because you guys were so popular on on Facebook. This was uh, before you know all the bots were taking over yeah. Facebook and and things were were still more legitimate and you could actually see things in your feed. And things that you were producing were popping up all the time. And I was always like, oh man, you know, because like the stuff we were doing uh, was not nearly as good as the stuff you like. You guys, you you guys were doing better stuff than uh, college humor, uh, like all the major comedy verticals. You were doing stuff that was getting more views and sticking to that generation better than anybody else because you guys were of that generation right. you weren't like some old people trying to think young you were just young kids trying to make whatever the heck you thought was fun probably on a crazy budget like just like being scrappy with it oh yeah i mean you know yeah. uh, no we had i mean out the gate there was no budget i mean once you know funding came in and acquisitions that was one thing but at first there was no budget and that's exactly what it was it was elite daily at 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 the heart of it at the beginning was just a bunch of scrappy really friends yeah. who were just trying to like make cause a little bit of a ruckus in the industry and i think that's why there was so much uh i guess you know quote unquote haters at the beginning and you know granted you know sometimes things happen that you know wasn't probably the best reflection of us but you know we were all just good guys and girls trying to make it an impact. And uh, yeah, it was pretty organic. We were all, I guess, you know, quote unquote, you know, we were the voice of Gen Y. So it was millennials making content for millennials. So it was very authentic. And uh, yeah, every bit of, you know, success we had and viewership, it was, to me, it was just uh, mind blowing how uh, really that Facebook wave we were able to, it was a lot of it was timing. Yeah. Uh, You know, I think it was the right time and using the right platform uh, which was Facebook then, and uh, yeah, it just it took off. Did you have to move from Facebook to the next thing? Like, wasn't there a next thing, or did you did you not have to do that anymore? Well, first, I mean, you from- made it all popular, and then you've moved on. Yeah, so you rode the wave, got out, now have your own thing. But, right. Like, did you have to jump into Snapchat? No, I mean, we. I mean, so from a. From, you know, I was always so afraid of the Snapchat. Because it just seemed like a, an app that people took photos of their genitals and then it disappeared. That, that was what it was for and, and then possibly you, still is for... Uh, and then all these brands jumped on it. Like It was like, visit CBS News on Snapchat. I'm like, I don't want to see Charlie Rose's Ding Dong. like that. Why would anybody want to be on, on Snapchat? And then, but then they did, and now they have all these Snapchat you know, stories and all this stuff and content that's made specifically for these weird platforms. I mean, yeah, I mean... <clears throat> from our standpoint, like from a video standpoint, it really was just YouTube at first, mm-hmm. you know, in 2012, 13. All of a sudden in 2014, it was like, oh, Facebook, you could put, you know, videos on too. Because really from an article, you know, text standpoint, Elite Daily was very successful because of riding the Facebook wave. Video, we were starting to call, you know, create a, a good niche for ourselves on YouTube. But then in about 2015, 16, all of a sudden we realized, you know, you had, uh, we had, you know, 2.5 million followers on Facebook versus, you know, 
300,000 on YouTube. So mm. we naturally felt, hey, we should be servicing the 2.5 million over, you know, yeah. 300,000. Granted, you know, I think in hindsight, I think we could have split our efforts better because I think on YouTube, at least at that time, was a more uh, active yeah. uh, audience while Facebook was a passive audience because a lot of it's just in your feed, three seconds. Yeah. But, you know, it was a small amount of active and a really large amount of passive. So if I can go back in time, I, I would try to service both, which I think we did. You know, a lot of times we'd cut videos 16 by 9 for YouTube, and then yeah. we'd make them square for Facebook. We'd add text for Facebook. So I think we tried to hedge our bets, but, uh, you know, hey, I, if I can go back, I, of course, I would have tried to continue to do more narrative stuff uh, for that YouTube audience that I think was a little bit more uh, active uh, than maybe some of our Facebook was. You're like a digital media pioneer because you've had to figure it out as these technologies were being invented, you know? I mean, that's what's so interesting uh, and exciting about digital media, you know, uh, same thing, like you said, Snapchat came in and all of a sudden we were pitching shows to Snapchat. Yeah. And, you know, I, to me, I, I remember, you know, the biggest thing is when I had to sit my team down, you know, so a lot of my team was, you know, we had such a great team, so many talented guys and a lot of them were from NYU and were real big film buffs and we had, you know, expensive gear and we had all this, you know, invested into being high quality film production mm -hmm. and all of a sudden I had to sit my guys down and be like, we need to start editing and shooting things to be square. So like it can't be yeah. sixteen by nine; it has to be square. And these guys looked at me like, "Yeah, you know, what, take, hell, you know, what are you yeah, talking exactly, about? Exactly. Like, take a hike. Like, there's no, there's no freaking way we're gonna." It's do funny because it's like it's because with uh, sixteen by nine happened after four by three, right? right. So yeah. you, all these years of television since like the honeymooners, things were four by three, right. and then and it was low, there's low definition. So you're watching these old things. You watch these old episodes of whatever show on a sixteen by nine, either it gets squished or stretched or or, or, or boxed with the black sides with the boxing out. And then you go back, and all of a sudden you got to make something for Instagram or Snapchat, and you're like, okay, now I got to take this beautiful wide shot that I have, and I have to cut it into the same four, almost by four by three or four yeah, by four. Yeah, it's either four by four or four by three. Either way, it's it, it's definitely strange, and my guys would fight me on it. But the truth is, you, you got to optimize for the platform. Yeah. And when you're on Facebook, and a lot of people who consume Facebook, especially for Elite Daily at the time, was on mobile. And now on that, your no, phone, they, they call that now mobile first. Yeah. I which mean, is a thing. Yeah. Everything has to be, mo they don't even, it's not even responsive anymore. Because it used to be like, make a website that's responsive, which means fits, you know, a desktop computer or an iPad or an iPhone. And now they don't even give a shit about the desktop yeah. computer. It's just called mobile first. If you go to a website, it looks, everything looks the same. It's all just like a white background with a nav, you know, and then like maybe a logo. Very, very clean, very Nothing simple. Nothing is there. There's no design anymore. Because, I mean, it, it is. Everything, you know, it's it, in the digital world, it's mobile first. And, you know, all of a sudden we were making videos squared. Then it was like, actually, we need to make them vertical because it's, you're really, you're playing a real estate game yeah. when you're on Facebook. When you're scrolling through your timeline, what, what jumps out at you? It has to be like Exactly. This. What jump, going No, this. right. What jumps out at you that, you know, uh, the first three seconds that they have to, you know, captivate you? Is there large text? Is there you know beautiful imagery is it yeah. something that you know if you have a video that takes up a third of the screen or you know half of the screen what's going to naturally like get your attention yeah. so it's it's uh it's a very much a look at me grab attention yeah. you know type of game but it only makes sense for and you know most publishers have and you know i i even suggest when i work with brands you know to make videos that are optimized for the platforms where most of your audience is going to see them yeah like where is an advertiser going to want to get a click Instagram probably. Yeah, I mean they, you know, if it's especially with, you know, you could run Instagram story ads now, Snapchat ads and those are all vertical. You could swipe up for more. I mean, it's it's a it's a interesting world how everything is advancing, but ultimately 
these platforms want to be able to make money. They want brands to be able to make money. They want brands to spend money to get more eyeballs so they can make money. Yeah. Uh, but I think the, the the brands and publishers who are willing to adapt, I think you're just setting yourself up for a little bit more success. It just makes sense. And for me as an independent now, uh, working with you know publishers and brands, I'm always trying to. I mean, at the end of the day, I love narrative more than anything. I yeah. always would uh, prefer to do narrative pieces than pure product pieces. Yeah. But I also understand to an extent what works on the platforms and sometimes it just makes sense to do those bright quick cool stuff because it attracts your attention so from elite daily you were you were riding high and you were producing a ton of cool content now you run your own independent kind of consultant digital media network so you work with major brands now to make that cool content in a in a more organic way yeah, so I mean, you work with, let's say, who is the guys that you work with? Are you allowed to talk about any? Yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, I don't is mind. it Bonobos? No, Bombas. Bombas. Yeah, so yeah, Bombas. I work with them uh, on uh, a bunch of their stuff, and you know, some some of the spots are narrative, mm-hmm. and and other of them are definitely you know pure product stuff of looking at socks dropping, and yeah. but it you know to me. As long as you could find a way to creatively make it exciting, like sure, maybe this spot isn't narrative where i would like it to be uh you know something that maybe feels more fulfilling overall to my background Mm -hmm. at the same time there's still something cool in figuring out okay well without any text or without a story how can i get something that's visually going to uh be appealing and make you know so it's just finding other ways to creatively incentivize yourself uh you know these socks are fun. You should buy these socks and then have a cool way to show the socks. Yeah, I think, you know, you know and, and, you know, with any of the, uh, you know, the brands I've, I've worked with, it's, 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 yeah, it's, you know, when I'm at, when I was at Elite Daily and we worked with brands, we did a lot of branded content, it was, you know, trying to find that middle balance between, uh, you know, what fit Elite Daily and their organic audience and the brands, because if the brand was coming to us, we felt like, the content needs to be something that organically would work with our, otherwise why are you paying, you know, we might as well just, you know, white label it. Why are you coming to us? It's, right. it's production and distribution. Uh, as an independent now, a lot of it is, you know, it's servicing the brands. It's like, sure, maybe, uh, you know, Tyler Gilden would love for X to happen, but at the end of the day, it's it's the brand services business and I'll always give my input. But so you're like, you're like a, your own mini agency because you're full service. Like you, you write and produce, you know, you have... You have the the skills to do the video stuff and the writing stuff, and call the, the call the guys to come and be on the crew. Yeah, I mean, I I you know I'm not a technical like I don't you know I'm not going to shoot you know I can but I don't really edit. Uh, but yeah, I mean because of the network that I've just established with yeah. a lot of my former guys, uh, and just you know being in the New York production scene and uh, even using you know Syracuse you know list service for production. Yeah. Uh, you know I'm able to put uh, a team together and you know feel confident enough to direct them uh you know and uh that's you know one facet of what i do and the other facet is trying to you know develop produce my own content in an ideal world i would be focusing mainly on you know development of you know narrative stories that necessarily don't have to be associated with a brand that could just live on a platform or a network but you know it takes time so this is a way for me to kind of balance both and what's the name of your production company it's just gildan media Gilded Media. That sounds good, though. It's that. That's the thing. Like I, I Gilded with an eye. Gilded, yeah, with an eye. I I could have you know come up with some like wacky, but uh, to me, I don't know. Well, the word Gilded to other uh, to people sounds fancy. It, that's, to I, you, it doesn't sound fancy because yeah. it's your name, right? Right. But to other people, it'd be like if someone's last name was like Golden, you know, right? Golden, you know, it's Gil it's, Gilden. Uh, yeah. I, I, I'm, I, gl- I, I'm glad you I like picture, my last name. I picture it with a little like shine, like glimmer, like. 
Yeah, you that, should. You should. Do you have that made up yet? Like an After Effects? I I have someone working on some logos right now because I, I haven't put up a website yet. I've I've been very like uh, I've been a bit behind the ball on that, but uh, I am working on that. Uh, I'll think about the shine and After need, Effects. Yeah. I, I I can help you. Just with a that. light bulb pops up uh, yeah, over the like eye, ding, or just like uh, maybe like your name is kind of this fancy metal, and it's like shining, and uh, and then what? I'll just be in lights on I Broadway. Is that is that, is that what it is? Yeah. I think that sounds great. And then you're a stand-up comic. Yeah, I, uh, I'm still performing stand-up. Not, you, not as much as I used to, and I, and I always you know, knock myself for not doing it as much as I did. I think I got so... When Elite Daily was such a big thing at a time, and yeah. it was so time-consuming, I really didn't feel like I could balance it all. But yeah, now I've been making a much more conservative effort to get up as much as I can. Because there's... I mean, you're, you're based in New York City. There's lots of stand-up in New York there's City. You can hop up there and get, get a couple of minutes... Under your belt. Yeah, you, you can. There's, you know, uh, you could throw a microphone anywhere in New York City and like, almost like pigeons, stand-up comics will flock to it. There's just, there's so many comedians and aspiring comedians and uh, wannabe comedians. There's just so many. It's it's very oversaturated. But uh, hey, you know, a lot, a lot of great talent, so. You'll have to do the guaranteed delivery show. I'm down. Let All me right. know. All right. We'll put know. you up on stage. It'll be fun. Um, you have a movie coming out. Or... I'm seeing a screening of a movie that you made. Correct. So yeah. how uh, tell the, the journey of making. You made a, a film about your grandfather. Correct. Called The Starfish. Called The Starfish. And um, how long did you work on this film? And it's, it's done now. The it's film in festivals. Is, the film is done. I've submitted it to festivals. This is a, a friends and family screening. So congrats on being a, a friends and family uh, Thank uh, recipient. Thank uh, But yeah, so basically it's a private friends and family screening. This is a documentary I've been Are there going on. to be snacks? There will be some snacks. Nice. There will be some snacks. There may be some, some complimentary drinks. All right. Uh, so yeah, I've been working on this for a year. Uh, ever si- you know, since basically a month or so after uh, I-, I left Elite Daily. Uh, unlike everything else we've discussed, this, this isn't really any comedy related. This this is a documentary, uh, which I think you know, and I think it's something just to go back on. You know, I originally went into Elite Daily to do you know comedy and their humor editor when I eventually became executive producer. Uh, we did comedy, but we also did a lot of documentaries as well. Mm-hmm. We won, you know, several uh, New York Emmy awards. I mean, a lot of our stuff uh, towards the end, really, I'd say it shifted, and most of our stuff probably was more docu newsy than that's comedy. What, that's what I thought was uh, set you guys apart, or what you were doing apart from what other people right. were just trying to get clicks, like a college humor right. or like a funnier die, because they were just going for a joke, right. right? They were just kind of like, you know. Just I just want to be funny. You guys are doing stuff that was more heartfelt storytelling, sure. so that was funny. But sometimes it wasn't funny. Sometimes you were just telling stories. No, yeah, we did a lot of uh, a lot of pieces that weren't uh, you know weren't funny at all. Were just you know either shocking or just heartfelt. Uh, so to me, like my background and interest is in you know as I said, narrative and just storytelling. Like mm-hmm. obviously, I'll always lean towards comedy as a foundation. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I wouldn't shy away from any piece that just was a really good, inspiring, impactful story. Uh, so my grandfather, uh, I'd always known his story a bit, you know, uh, you know, growing up. Uh, but uh, once I had the free time after Elite Daily and, uh, you know, shortly after, and, you know, I don't want to give up away too much of, of, of the film, but, you know, shortly after his, uh, you know, his sister had passed away and at the funeral, uh, which was last February, he was kind of telling their story. It really just struck me as like, um, okay, 
I need to really record this in, in some yeah. way uh, sooner than later. Uh, and then uh, basically two months later, after everything happened with Elite Daily and I had free time, I was kind of just like, I need to do this now. And uh, yeah, I was working on it you know, on and off for about a year. And it tells just your grandfather's whole life story. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'll explain basically, uh, you know, so uh, my grandfather was born in uh, Landsberg, Germany, which is actually not even a part of Germany anymore. It's part of Poland, but a town, Landsberg, Germany in 1929. Uh, and in 1939, when he was 10, his older sister was 12 and his other older sister was 14 uh, after Kristallnacht, which is basically when uh, the Nazis went around and they basically broke all the windows and looted all the stores of basically any of the Jewish owned, uh, you know, companies and businesses. Uh, so they were in hiding. And basically, my, my great-grandparents were able to, through this organization called Hayas, which was Hebrew Immigration uh, Aid Society, which actually Hayas is still around today, uh, um, they were able to find three families of non-Jewish families in a small town called Falun in Sweden, each willing to take one of the three children. So in 1939, basically, my great-grandparents put my grandfather and his two sisters at 10, 12, and 14 on a train and basically said, you know, uh, hopefully we'll see you again. And they went off to live uh, for two years, uh, you know, in Sweden. And uh, the film is basically about what transpired after yeah. that, uh, you know, their eventual coming to America. Uh, and then there, you know, starting all over again, again, in America, very poor. Uh, you know, my, my grandfather was eventually able to, uh, through his, him and his brother-in-law, basically founded, uh, well, his brother-in-law had a, had a grocery store uh, in Brooklyn. He partnered with him and... Somehow, through circumstances, that became a lighting company, which became a successful lighting company. And it's just the whole story of uh, survival, entrepreneur, you know, entrepreneurialism, uh, just sacrificing and, you know, also focusing on those families in Sweden who, yeah. you know, basically came to their call, you know, a knock on their door. Hey, will you take in these children? Uh, so it, it focuses on the family dynamic. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I think it's a really overall uh you know well done uh piece and you know when i tell people i'm doing a documentary on my grandfather they you know kind of look at me like who the hell's your grandfather you know is is this you know you guys in your backyard barbecue and like who, you know who gives a crap and then i have to explain like you know this is so much deeper than just like my grandfather i think yeah. it's talking to you know that time period and what it was like and i think what's so unique about it is you know somebody who's you know uh you know 28 years old you know uh, my life is so different than what my grandfather's was at 28 so yes. i think you know it's one thing just to tell my grandfather's story but for me to tell it i just think it's another unique element that uh you know it's really just been a gratifying experience did you get to travel to sweden f for producing this film so i i did not but i have you know i don't want to give away too much but i've been in contact with the swedish family who took him in nice. i have filmed them and uh i have a lot of footage and uh, uh a lot of photos of uh you know of him in Sweden. Uh, so it's the amount of archival stuff. It's insane, honestly, yeah. like, cause you know, it took a, this is the reason it took a, such a, a year long to do is not just because obviously, you know, it's a 48 minute piece and that takes time. It's just, collecting everything every you know it's amazing i had to ask everyone in my family like five times before i finally got every photo they had it'd be like hey send me what you have and i'd look at it and then uh, i'd be like oh this is great you have anything else uh, i'll let you know you know a month later oh i found this yeah. and then it's like you know what? can i just come over and see what you have just give me uh, everything you it, got i literally had to go through my grandparents house four times to finally find every photo and all of a sudden i'd find these gems like yeah. in the 11th hour like oh my god like you've had this the whole time like we talk about this and i needed a visual for it and like we have it uh so yeah it's it's crazy i have a bunch of eight millimeter footage from you know the 50s and 60s of them i have photos of them from you know 
uh, 1930s, it, it's, it's, it's remarkable. That sounds so interesting, and I think that people will look at what you did and say, you know, what's my family story? And it'll, it inspires people, because, I mean, so much is popular now with, you know, ancestry, yep. you know, gene- genealogy and all that kind of stuff. Like, you're discovering fun things. You hear from the family stories, but then you really start digging, and you learn these surprising things that they just never told you, yep. you know? And then you're like, wait, tell me more about this one thing that you seem to have glossed over quite a bit. And then they start telling it, and you're like, holy crap. I mean, how have I never heard this story before? It's, I mean, people have people have non-mundane lives. We all just kind of assume that everyone has, you know, it's like, oh, just, you know, life. Right. But then you actually start digging into someone's life. You're like, wow, that's really interesting. Well, I also like, think, you know, the you know the older generations, you know, it's yeah. very different today. Today, you know, we... You know, we, we publicize. Are, we are social, boring. No, now. no, no. But I'm saying today we pub. You know, we publicize everything we've ever done. True. You know, back then, especially people who went through things like the Holocaust or you know these really tough times. You know, they didn't talk about it. Yeah. You know, and that was a big, you know, a big part. And you know, the whole like intro teaser to the piece is the idea that you know my my grandpa didn't tell his family. He, yeah. he never told my dad until years later about like anything that had happened because it just it wasn't something that you know and he says it you know it just wasn't something that he thought to do so i th- i just think what's you know important about you know really digging and asking these questions is 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 getting those answers out there and getting it you know uh you know preserved and a lot of people who i who i have spoken in detail about it too or you know, did a screening for when I was getting feedback, you know, you say, oh, I, I got to do this for my, you know, I w- a, 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 I wish I would have done this or B, I have to, yeah. you know, and I even say like, you don't have, you know, you don't have to do a full documentary. You could just, you know, everybody walks around with a camera yeah. and a recording device on them at all times, your phone. All you have to do is sit them down and just, you know, record them and just yeah. get the story down. You don't have to necessarily do a full film like I did. You could just, you know, record them on your phone and uh, just preserve that. I yeah. just think it's, you know, it's, if you have the opportunity to do it, yeah, you know, you should. Or at the very least, call your grandparents and talk to them yeah, <laughs> when they want to talk. <laughs> Ask them questions. Don't just be, you know, going through the motions. So when, because you went from comedy to doing something much more serious. Yeah. Uh, what, fil- do you have any filmmakers that inspired your style of how you approached doing like a documentary like this? Like, did you have anybody that you were kind of looking at and saying, I like what, I like the way that they made a movie. I want to make a movie kind of like that. Like, did you have any background of, of directors that you kind of leaned on? I mean, there was, you know, there was no one I'd say like specifically who like inspired me. Like I kind of felt like it was, you know, my grandfather inspired me to do this piece. Yeah. And, you know, through the experience with some of the docs we had done uh, previously at Elite Daily that, you know, I, uh, like, well, first thing first, I a big thing for me was I surrounded myself because it's such a personal story. You know, my crew that I worked with were people I had worked with previously and I had relationships with. So mm-hmm. like my cinematographer was, you know, uh, the first original, you know, the, the, the first video I did at Lee Daily of me on the street asking, uh, voting for Obama, Mitt Romney and trying to make some cheap jokes. The guy who shot that is the guy who shot this documentary. Oh, like wow. I, you know, uh, my editor who, I mean, works with me countless hours. I mean, cinematographer kind of shows up on the shoot days and then says, you know, you know, have a good one. Uh, but the editor needs to literally sit with me and I'm not the easiest person to, I give a lot of notes and I'm very specific and he, you know, uh, he, he was a trooper, but he was someone I worked with at elite daily. Uh, my graphics guy was someone I worked with, you know, everybody who I brought in, I wanted it to be, you know, a tight circle of a people who I felt like, you know, cause this was self-funded would be willing to, you know, help me out, but also, uh, you know, that I felt comfortable with. So yeah. I think for me, was there anyone specific? No, I mean, I, I, I think in terms of the, 
being in the comedy and, uh, you know, doc world. I think there are so many overlaps there. Like even, you know, there are portions of the piece that are a little humorous. Yeah. I think, you know, in anything I do, I try and put a little bit. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I look at someone like, a you know, Judd Apatow, who, you know, clearly is a comedy background, but, you know, he's done serious pieces. I mean, yeah. he just watches, you know, the Zen Diaries, uh, you know, Gary Shandling uh, is great. And there's definitely a lot of heart and, and truth uh, into that, too. So I think I, I think there's a lot of, you know, doc and comedy is as different as they are. There are some overlaps and roots of just, I think, authentic truths mm-hmm. that make them somewhat similar that it kind of, you know, I couldn't see myself ever like doing a dramatic narrative doesn't seem right to me but dramatic like a doc that was serious it it seems a lot more natural to me for for whatever that reason is yeah but you would you do like a dramedy it would and what's your opinion on the word dramedy (laughs) i think i mean it it flows too nicely to not like it like you know what i mean when two words combine so well like you can't not like it yeah uh dramedy is a great one uh i I mean i guess maybe but to me uh i don't know i mean my skill set in like pure writing is always been, you know, more towards, you know, comedy, but, you know, in just, you know, documenting life, you know, sometimes, uh, I don't know. I just feel like there's some raw and, and just truth that makes comedy and documentary storytelling somewhat similar. Do you have any favorite, um, oh, well, I wanted to ask you more about comedy. Like, what are you watching that's, that's a comedy right now? Do you, do you have any recommendations? Well, I mean, what do you like? Right now, I've just been rewatching The Office as like, I'm, okay. I'm doing the full dive back through, but I'm getting towards the point now where like, you know, it's getting towards the end. Like, I, I'm assuming, obviously, you watch The Office, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah so yeah, yeah. right now, like, you know, uh, Saber has just, uh, you know, uh, acquired. Yeah. So I'm getting towards like the end of when it's not as great anymore. Yeah. Like, Michael yeah. Scott's going to be gone soon. All of a sudden, they're going to have all You're the. You're trying other- to figure out yeah. how to keep the show exactly. going. Exactly. So like, I, I, yeah. I know I'm at the point where it's like. I don't even know if I'm going to necessarily have to watch the next two and a half seasons. I, yeah. I might end after this like six or seven season. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I love, I've been loving that. Obviously I always loved the office. Uh, I loved, uh, you know, curb came back was curb was always one of my favorite shows. I rewatched the whole series before that came back. Uh, new comedy. And that has a documentary esque feel to it. That's you know? a very, and so does the office. So that, it's like a docu comedy. Totally. It's definitely a, a genre that's very good for, you know, documentary esque comedy. Right. Well, both of those rack, exactly. Both those shows are, are are written, but also improvised. You know, yeah. like a lot of them Gary, is yeah. Gary Shandling show. He was the, the epitome or, uh, of that. Larry Sanders when they did that was the epitome of that. Yeah. What are the good comedies I'm watching now that are new? Hmm. I mean, I, I watched uh, uh, what's it? The Miss Mizell show on. Uh, oh, I haven't Amazon. seen that yet. Yeah, it was it was pretty good. I thought I thought she, you know, she was fantastic. Yeah. Um, it was good. Um. I I guess from a, a performing like a stand up comedy standpoint, I, I felt like at times I didn't know if I was buying some of the on stage stuff as much. But yeah. it, you know, in terms of like just characters, though, I mean, the cast was phenomenal, and some of, some of the scenes, like the, the the parents, you know, especially if you appreciate like Jewish humor, like a lot of the Jewish parents were so spot on. It, it was I definitely recommend it. That it was a pretty good show. Oh, and you just uh, judged the stand up comedy competition for what you were telling? It was me. yeah, it was the Jewish Week. 20th, you know, funniest Jewish comedian competition. And what uh, happened at that? Well, yeah, there was uh, an 82-year-old. Who got old, angry? Yeah. Well, it was an 82-year-old, uh, and she was, she was, she was, a uh, she was a riot. She was, she was, she was really funny, uh, and, you know, adorable. Uh, and actually backstage, I swear to God, backstage, she, uh, Another contestant who must have been, I'm going to say 26, 27, because uh, I was the host, so I had to take everybody's names, yeah. and he said his name, uh, and she goes, I think his last name was Black. And she goes, Black, 
I dated your uncle. I swear to God, she was literally playing Jewish geography with someone like 60 years younger than her. Like, I dated your uncle like in the 1970. I forget what she said, but I was like, oh my God, this is like the most phenomenal game of like backstage Jewish geography that yeah. like, you're ever going to get. Uh, and yeah, she ended up coming in fourth place and uh, her her, uh, her daughter uh, was furious. She thought she should have done better. Uh, how many minutes did they all have to do? I think they all had like six minutes. Okay. They all had six minutes. No, it was it was, it was a fun show. Uh, uh, you know, I I have some like Jewish jokes that I you know like some Jewish jokes can definitely be mainstream and some like are purely only in Jewish wheelhouses. Yeah. So it's fun when I get an opportunity to like tell some of those jokes because I couldn't typically tell one of those jokes because yeah. it would just unless unless it, that holiday was happening during that time it would just seem like way too inside baseball. So uh, yeah, it was fun. Is your is your stand up comedy act very Jewish or do you have What's your what's your solid five minutes about? Uh, honestly, I wish I I wish I, I wish I could say any of my five minutes were so solid that I knew concrete <laughs> what it was about. Uh, but no, so are you like an observational comedy? Yeah, kind of guy? I think um uh, you know observational is definitely yeah self deprecating op- observational. A lot about you know now about being married. Yeah. A lot about you know uh, you know my wife. I think I used to do a lot more you know because you know especially when you start off you know you should stick to what you know. And I think so. Starting off, a lot of it was like Jewish Jewish mother jokes. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of it was actually very dirty jokes too i was a lot filthier when i first started as i've like gotten older i've like you know i've toned it down but you know i was a master crafter of dick jokes uh, <laughs> out the gate I, and, and listen everyone does dick jokes i would put some of my my dick jokes up against some other people's i think i had some top-notch dick jokes because you have that strong narrative background you know dramatic yeah, uh, I mean, and, and I'm, you know, I'm a very energy, like, you know, I host a lot because yeah. I have, you know, I'm very energetic. And I think uh, with hosting and some, you know, there's some hosts who, who take a different approach. But for, for me, and I think why. You got to keep it going. You yeah, exactly. Keep the enthusiasm you know, it's, up. You know, it's, you guys ready for your next comedian? Yeah. Like, you know, it's like almost like half the show is, all right, so are yeah. you ready? It's almost like by the eighth time I go up there. The audience could just yell, "Yes, we're ready!" Like I don't need to say it anymore. <laughs> Stop yelling it, please. But uh, that's you know that's a lot. What hosting is? It's it's keeping the energy, and uh, I'm a I'm a high energy person. Yeah. So a lot of times, uh, you know that uh, you know that works because I'm able to you know even if I didn't, uh, even if I'm not having the best set up front, at least uh, the audience could feed off my energy. Hopefully they could laugh too. But if not, at least they're like feeling pumped up and on Red Bull. Did you ever have like a really terrible, terrible stand up experience? There's not. A single comedian who's not had a well, very... Well, that could be a cringeworthy talk word story then. Like, what was your worst oh, stand-up wow, okay. uh, experience? Sure. Uh, my worst. Like, you got up there and just... Okay. I, I, okay. Um, I've had so many. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've had so many. Um, yeah. No, I'd say the one that's sticking out to me was... It teaches you humility, <laughs> Oh, totally. It? Oh, well, I mean, totally. And I'll tell you, it helped me a lot in, you know, my you know, regular career as well, like giving presentations and having to go into tough board meetings and yeah. whatnot. Uh, yeah, I think the one that stands out to me like the most was probably, it must have been, I don't know, let's say six years ago or so. I was doing a bar show and, you know, bar shows and club shows are very different. You know, club show and, you know, granted, every show could be different based on the venue yeah. and the audience, how many people are there. Uh, but with bar shows, typically, you know, I, I started off doing mainly 
you know, club shows because I was doing bringer shows. I had mm-hmm. a lot, you know, I'm from Long Island. I had a lot of friends who lived in New York, you know, and lived in the city and I could bring people. So clubs would book me. They didn't care if I was funny or not, uh, which is unfortunate, but <laughs> they would book me because I could bring 10, 15 people. Yeah. So I was really only doing club shows and the energy of a club show is very different than the energy of a bar show. And I think one of the first bar shows I did, uh, you know, it was maybe only, let's say there was 12, 15 people and I was used to only doing shows with you know, minimum 60, 70 people, maybe somewhat 100. Uh, and I was used to doing shows with, you know, friends there. Yeah. And uh, this was maybe, you know, 12-person bar show. And the other comedians were pretty legit. Some guys who, you know, were good. And I felt like, okay, I'm amongst these guys. Yeah. Like, yeah. And uh, I was so bad. And it just, <laughs> I didn't get a laugh. And I just, it was so bad. And I just, I immediately left. Uh, I think this was pre-Uber, so I must have jumped in a cab because uh, I wasn't even like – I just wanted to directly go home. And I think for whatever reason that night, I slept at my girlfriend's and I literally got into bed and I started to cry. I literally like – you know, she had a dog, which we have now. I literally like curled up with the dog and started to cry and she and she like like rolled over and she's like – the hell's wrong with you and i was like i had the worst set ever like i'm so upset and she was just like i gotta go to sleep like and she just she gave me no sympathy there was zero it wasn't even like no it was literally like it wasn't even like hey do you want to talk about it you'll get up next time she was just like i gotta get up in the morning (laughs) like like why are you crying about your stupid bar show like your problems are stupid yeah she just she and then the next day i was like you know you could have been a little bit more supportive (laughs) last night and she was just like she was like, what, what, what was it? And I explained the situation. She's like, so 12 people didn't laugh at you? Who cared? Like, she just didn't understand. She was just like, and, and she was probably partially right. She's like, so 12 people didn't laugh at you? Who cares? It was one show. Like, man up. And I was just like, your dog was so much nicer than you were. Uh, so that was, that, that was, that was pretty, uh, that was pretty cringe. That's good. That is cringeworthy. Yeah, that was terrible. Yeah. A, a bad show is, a bad show is so bad. Yeah, they get really bad. Bad like, shows are so some bad. bad. If you see some bad stand-up comedy, it is quiet. But the truth is, too. sometimes, like, and, and, and you know, I think it sounds cliche, but, like, everybody does bomb. I mean, listen, some people bomb more than others, but yeah. sometimes, you know, you just you just didn't bring it. For whatever reason, you know, you're, you're too tired. For me, sometimes I'm too tired of my material. I'm telling it too often, and I don't believe it anymore, so I'm not yeah. delivering it anymore. Sometimes you're just in your head. Sometimes one small thing throws you off, but, like, that's why you really can't judge a comedian by just one show because yeah. you know I've seen some phenomenal comedians and they bombed the set just because they were trying something new and yeah. you know to me I you know I'm so uh, I hate bombing that I will immediately flip to like my like s- stuff that I know works yeah. when like you really should keep trying to work through it but I'm just like I, I'm like nope let me go with, let me go with the safety <laughs> joke that works and I try to like build myself out of it but sometimes once you're down like you're down just just yeah, and, and some guys are so. I mean, I think I saw um, Shane Torres, uh, who's a great stand-up comic, and he's always very, very funny. He did the Guaranteed Delivery show, and he was trying some stuff, and it was like it was totally brand new stuff, and he was, but he was he was delivering it well, and it, people did laugh. It wasn't like totally quiet, and but it was obviously something new, and he had like a little pad. He goes, "Okay, gonna make a note for that one." So even if it wasn't funny, it still got a laugh. No, like that, he he yeah. flipped it into something still hilarious, like. Obviously, he was working on something, and he made that into the joke, and then that made the entire set hilarious because he was working on these jokes. And, um, yeah, so it's well, tough. I, think- I mean, what what you guys do as stand-up comics is so terrifying to me. Like, I'm a fan, and I produce, and I enjoy being in the audience, but, like, 
getting up there, I mean, this has to be. But people get so addicted to it, like being up on the stage. No, it's a, it's, and delivering it's, the jokes. It's definitely like you know, it's it's a it's a high. Like when you have a great show, it is a high like no other. Yeah. And when you have a bad show, it is a low like no other. It, it's you know, it's all about those peaks and valleys. And for me, you know, I. Because I'm not getting up as much as I used to, uh, and not by no fault of, 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 well, some fault of my own, but uh, because you know, you're you're a business person now, well, well, but so that, like you're yeah, doing I know, that frustrates me. It's like part of me wonders, like if I, what if I didn't get so involved, you know, uh, in in an elite daily? Like could I have, you know, done my, you know, my late night set? But who knows? I guess you know you'll never know. I found a different way to kind of take my skills and interest in entertainment and apply it in a different way that wasn't pure stand-up. Yes. But I wish I, I, wish I would have... You a business, and that's good. No, I... I you know. Understandably... Your comedy sensibilities made everything else happen. Fa- fair enough, but I definitely, you know, I definitely miss doing stand-up, and I'm definitely making a concerted effort to do it more. And, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think th- my, my issue is, and you know, to be honest, is that when I'm going up on shows and I'm going up with guys who are doing it every night and they're yeah. working out every day and versus me... Of course, they're going to be a little bit more polished, a little bit yeah. better. It's like, you know, if, if two guys are working out, one guy goes to the gym every day and one guy goes once a month, you know, who, who, who's going to bench press more? You know, who's going to lift more? Who's going to yeah. look better? So yeah. to me, sometimes I think I think at one point I got very discouraged because yeah. I stopped doing it for a while. And then when I got back into it, I, I felt like I really regressed. I feel a lot more confident now. But, yeah. you know, it's it's uh, yeah, it's just a battle getting, you know, getting back into it and getting into the rhythm and training yourself to, yeah. uh, to do that. It's, uh, you know, it's a challenge. Well, we'll get you a bump on stage. I'm excited. I never actually saw you do stand-up. Well, now I've hyped it. Well, actually, no. I've, I've, per- <laughs> I've perfectly set it up that I could totally bomb, and it's yeah, fine. It's I, totally fine. I've done a very good job of setting very mediocre. I love to you set. Have. I the love expectations to set are expe- so low. I love to set low expectations. Yeah. It's great. I mean, as a, I'm a, I guess, and I, I take this from my sports you know, franchise, I'm a Jets, Islanders, Mets fan, so <laughs> I'm naturally set up for failure. Like, I'm a pessimist because I, I expect very little victory, yeah. and then I can only be blown away and happy or i could be like very much like yep that's what i, th- I thought was gonna happen any kind of glimmer of hope you're like you're, you're like a comedy underdog it's good you know people love an underdog story well i might i i come from underdog teams it's a it's a disease the teams that i root for and it, it, it makes my but it makes you know my me a more humble person i'm not someone i'm not a yankee fan who's won a thousand yeah. world series i walk around hey look at me and i'm like no i know what it's like to to blow a lot of games and to yeah. be in last place exactly it's perfect I love it. I'm excited about the seeing your movie. Yeah, no, I'm uh, I'm excited. So that's coming see it. out. It's called The Starfish. Yep. And it's a departure for you. It's very serious and it's moving. And yeah, I'm yeah. Excited. No, I'm 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 to I'm learn su- about I'm your super family. stoked for people to uh, to see it. And I mean, that's going to just be a friends and family thing. But you know, I've submitted to a bunch of festivals. I'm hoping to you know get into some festivals or find some distribution. I I, I do believe that there is a you know what that home is, what yeah. that platform looks like. Uh, I don't know yet, but I do feel like it is a story that is worth being told and that I think people will enjoy. And even if you can't get distribution at one of the big boys, you could always do an online distribution where someone can buy it almost directly from you on like a Vimeo or something. So, yeah. you know, like that could happen. There's there's always... In uh, some way, your movie's going to get out. There, there's, so, there's always ways. And the truth is, even if it never did, I think just the experience of doing this yeah. from for my family's sake for my grandfather's sake like just the fact that like you know my great great grandkids can watch this on 3d uh you know eyeglasses that you know 3d contact lenses that'll probably exist like who knows the who fact knows? that they can watch a hologram a hologram uh, uh from uh, outer space i don't know what the world's gonna look like but the fact that this will be preserved i think is great i think from an experience of first time 
directing and you know uh, uh, you know creating my own documentary yeah. uh, is great. So the experience, no matter what, uh, you know whether it ever made a dime or uh, you know got eyeballs, uh, is worth it. But hopefully, uh, you know it, it does. Uh, you know it, it does okay. And then we can take this beautiful. Uh widescreen, beautiful artistic shot. We can hack it to a square aspect ratio and throw it up on Snapchat and I, get people to watch it. I, I it's probably yeah, <laughs> it's definitely not a uh, a Instagram, Snapchat no. quick uh 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 you know quick type of uh consumer experience video. But no. you know if there was a platform that was willing to whatever, I, I you know to me I would be willing to Figure out ways to make it work somewhere. Uh, you should make it work somehow and tie it into an ad for Anstruster.com or something like that. I mean, like a storytelling. There's, uh, listen, there's, I don't want to give you too many good ideas. No, I mean, there's, there's definitely, you know, I I think there is, whether it's a buyer, a platform, somebody's yeah, out there for this. Definitely. Uh, but yeah, I mean, whether it's something like that, a sponsorship or it's, uh, uh, you know, a, a traditional network where it's yeah. an OTT or a purely digital, uh, you know, direct to consumer. Yeah. I, I don't know yet. I think... Everything is basically. Everybody tells me, get it done. See what happens in the festivals. Because yeah. if it does well in a festival, it only gives you more credibility. Right. Well, that's awesome. It's so great to talk to you, Tyler. It's Tyler Gilden. Where can people follow you on all of the social medias where you post things? Uh, on, all, on all the social medias yeah. where you post things. Yeah. Uh, yeah t- uh, t- I think it's at Tyler Gilden. Uh, G I L D I N, not E N, as yeah. uh, most people think. Right. Uh, and yeah, on Instagram, Facebook. Uh, and you're developing wherever. comedy Twitter. stuff also. I, you, yeah, yeah. Some, you had some comedy development in the works too. That's exciting. Um, so uh, I'm excited to see your movie, and you're going to be coming up with fun comedy videos uh, that we're going to be watching too. Hopefully, we can get you to do some comedy videos with Weekly Humorous because you're a very talented uh, yeah, producer. Yeah, no, so I'd, I'd, uh, that'd be I, awesome. I'm always looking for uh, good opportunities to uh, collab and do and some we'll get good you on stuff. the Guaranteed Delivery Show. I'm going to force you up on stage. Well, it's going to be great. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm putting the expectations real low, I know. so I could blow you guys out They're of the water, so low. or I could directly hit exactly the expectations. All right, good enough for me. E- either one. Uh, you know, it's uh, it'll be a win-win at that at that point. Well, this was uh, this has been talk. I thought that was good, and your cringeworthy story was definitely valid. I appreciated it and heartfelt. Yeah, I, I, right now I'm I'm feeling it even more, and yeah. I, I don't think I'll ever perform again now. Never I, again. I'm now reliving it, and I'm also thinking my my girlfriend then, who's now my wife, she really could have been a little bit more supportive. She definitely could have been at least more supportive than the dog. Well, my dog is so supportive. I love my dog, I, and he's still around. He's ten. If we're following Tyler on Instagram, are we going to see nothing but your dog? You're going to see a good amount of my good dog. amount of dog. A good, right. but in all fairness, like my dog is exceptionally cute. That I'm allowed to overpost it. Okay, what's the dog's name? Sammy. Sammy. What kind of a dog is this? Yorkie. Oh, that is cute. He's got big ears, and uh, when I work from home most days, he just he just sits next to me. Just wait. he's right now freaking out that I'm not home right now. You could have brought the dog in. This yeah. is a dog-friendly environment. You would hear him this entire time. He'd, be, he'd be chirping and growling for me to rub him. Tr- trust me, as cute as he is, uh, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't uh, you know, he'd probably take a piss in here, too. That sounds great. Well, thanks for listening. Uh, this has been Talkward. I'm Marty Dundix, editor-in-chief of Weekly Humorist. Please follow us uh, at Weekly Humorist and sign up for our weekly e-newsletter at weeklyhumorist.com. Um, check out the Guaranteed Delivery Show. Um, Our sponsor is Swill, a liquor store in your pocket. Go to GetSwill.com and use Drink5 to get $5 off your first order. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.